Take your Bible. Genesis 17 tonight. Walk before me is the title of the message. As we continue to look at Abram's journey of faith. And tonight we're going to see him renamed into Abraham. And we'll dig that out a little bit as well. Before we do anything further, though, let's take a moment to pray. Father, thank you for all the worship that's going on all over this building. Thank you for all the faithful servants in youth group, teachers, those who take care of our kids, those who uh, give of their time in ushering and preparing food and greeting people and being available to answer questions. And there's a great team of individuals. Thank you for Brandon back on the sound booth tonight and just for all of those who contribute to the ministry. Thank you for the fact that many times today the radio program went out over the radio airwaves. And thank you for new open doors that you are giving to us for radio as well. And we just want to praise you for those opportunities. And now as we turn our hearts to your word, it is always our desire that you would write your word on our hearts, Lord. So just help us to put aside all the the distractions, the weights, the concerns, even the fears that we face. And let us be ready to receive the uh, word of God implanted, which is not only able to save our souls, but able to feed our souls and to strengthen us. And so tonight, we just pray a blessing on those who will be hearing tonight. Bless your word as it goes forth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Genesis 17, verse 1. Now, when Abram was 99 years old, he must have been the oldest guy in the room a lot of the time, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Now, you'll notice There's two uh, markers of Abram's age. The end of Genesis 16 says, so Hagar, look at Genesis 16, 15. Hagar bore Abram a son, Genesis 16, 15. And Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. And Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. Now, the incident of uh, the birth of Ishmael uh, through Hagar, which we'll get more of in a later study, was a blip on the screen of faith or a shortcut uh, in the life of faith. And we talked about that last time. And we talked about how sometimes we're tempted to take shortcuts in faith and we've got promises from God. And yet we say, well, maybe I can cut through the grass here. Maybe I can, <laughs> maybe I can, uh, maybe there's, got, there's an easier way. Maybe God didn't really mean it this way. And we find ways to justify not being patient and waiting for God's promises. And this is what happened with Sarai. She became impatient. She was barren. She was struggling. She was wrestling with all that was going on in her life. And finally, she said, go ahead and take Hagar, my maidservant. She was an Egyptian maidservant. This was not God's plan. The promised seed child would not come through the line of Ham. It would not come from an Egyptian lineage. Abram knew this, but he still agreed to the plan. And she became pregnant. And the household was in turmoil. And when we take shortcuts to faith, we get ourselves in trouble. And even though Romans 4, uh, verse 12 says, we're to follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, we can know that those were not always perfect steps. And just so you guys can kind of breathe a little easier tonight, God already knows you're not perfect. Isn't that good news? He already knows you're flawed. He already knows we struggle sometimes with making the right decisions and, and walking in faith. 
and walking by faith and not by sight. And now 13 years have passed and still the man whose name is exalted father in Hebrew, and some scholars believe even his name Abram means father of many, is the father of none. At least until Ishmael comes along, he's lived some 86 years and he has no children, yet his name means exalted father. Can you imagine you know, with all these possessions and servants that he had, and he was a well-to-do guy, and he was probably well-known that people in caravans would travel and maybe stop at Abram's tent, and he would introduce himself, hey, Abram, and people were big into names, and they had significant meanings, and what's your name? You know, it means exalted father or father of many. Well, how many sons do you have? None. And that was not only... Uh, a trial for Sarai, barrenness was a difficult, uh, even a tragedy in Hebrew culture, but it was a trial to Abram's manhood. Let's face it. Part of being a man is that you want to have offspring, and it's a very important thing to have children for most of us, unless we have the gift of singleness, and for fathers especially to have a son in this culture was huge because it gave you an heir. And when you had to answer that my name is exalted father, but yet I have no sons, that had to be a very difficult uh, burden on a man that was trying to walk by faith. And tonight you may be in that situation. I meet people in the community that have names that are from the Bible, and they've been named in honor of Bible characters, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're always living up to their name, and it doesn't necessarily mean that their life is working out maybe the way that they hoped. And so Abram's now 99, and of course Ishmael has come, and Ishmael's now a young teenager, or he's, you know, he's entered the teenage years, he's kind of plowing towards manhood, he's 13, but there's still no son of promise. There's no son that's come from the loins of Abram through Sarai. And so Abram has to be wondering, how long, Lord, do you want me to wait? Uh, I'm 99. (laughs) Can I remind you? I don't know how many times in prayer. He probably reminded God every year. And maybe every birthday. Lord, (laughs) you know how old I am today? Do you know how many candles we tried to put on the falafel? (laughs) We're out of space, Lord. When is this promise going to be realized? Some of you may be there. You know, you're waiting on God for something. Maybe it would be a spouse. Maybe it would be someone who you've been praying to come to Jesus Christ, and and you wait. And, And Abram certainly had to wait. Now, 13 years, one writer says, 13 years of what we might consider trouble brewing in the tent of Abram, a cloud of domestic gloom and growing darkness about the promise had hung over the tents of Abram. And even though when Hagar returned to the tent, we believe that there was probably some reconciliation between the parties and, and, a, and an opportunity to repent and ask for forgiveness, still there was a, a lingering problem. She had had this child. And her name, you know, uh, Hagar was the Egyptian maidservant, but she called God the God who sees. Remember that? The God who sees me. That was our message last Wednesday. He sees my trouble. He sees my issues. And Ishmael, it means God hears. God hears and God sees. And Abram's got to be thinking, well, if that's the case, Sarai's got to be thinking the same. Does he see my heart? Does he see my struggles? Does he see my difficulties? 
And now in Genesis 17, 1, for the fourth time, the Lord appears to Abram when he's 99 years old. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. This is, by the way, the first time in the Bible that we see God identify himself as El Shaddai. And that's a name that you've probably heard before. And that's one of the names of God. And the, the name El Shaddai means, it's translated into English as God Almighty. And that's a good way to put it because the Hebrew language here speaks of God's omnipotence and God's sovereignty. He's the God who acts. He's the God with power. And he introduces himself at the beginning of Genesis 17 as El Shaddai, the God who has power. The God who is omnipotent is the combination of Latin words. We, we sometimes say it omnipotent. He's all powerful. But Abram should still be asking, and we think he is, if you're the God of all power, then where is this son of promise One writer says, this name signifies God's omnipotence, sovereignty. It describes a God who makes things happen by means of his majestic power and might. He is El Shaddai. And El Shaddai says to Abram, don't let your soul shrink away in unbelief. Walk before me. And this is a call for every Christian tonight. This is the call from God Almighty to every Christian to walk, Ephesians 4.1, in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. God is the one who makes the promises. God is the one who supplies the power. But we are supposed to walk before God. Walk before me, God says. And how is he to walk? Abram is to walk before me, notice, blameless. The word blameless does not mean perfect. The word blameless has the idea of a man or a woman of integrity. In the New Testament, the word is used for the church and it's even used for the elder as a man or a woman who has no open charge against them. No one could walk through those back doors and have a charge that would stick against you in terms of you habitually doing something wrong in the culture. Walk before me blameless. And Abram certainly had not done that. He had just made a huge mistake. And God is saying, look, I'm the all-powerful one. Do you get the message? The power does not come from you, Abram. It comes from me. You've been trying to shortcut your faith. You've been trying to do it by the flesh. That's why you've got Ishmael here. That's why you've got this mess with Hagar and your wife and the drama in the tent is because you tried to shortcut it and I am the source of the power. And in a chapter that is all about circumcision, circumcision is really, one of the images of circumcision is a cutting away of the flesh. It means that it's not going to be done by might. It's not going to be done by power. It will be done through my spirit, says the Lord. This is what Abram needs to learn. And he's walking a journey of faith. And you know what? I'm still trying to learn how to rely upon God. Can I get a witness? You know, in in our culture, but for that matter, it's just a human dilemma that we all try to do things in our own strength. And then when we're really in an emergency, we take a deep gulp and say, well, maybe this one's too big for me. Okay, God, I'll give you a shot at it. Maybe now I'll gulp, pray. 
and God stretches us. And Sunday we talked about being in storms and we sometimes wonder why does God elongate storms? Why does he come at the fourth watch of the night sometimes and let us have the spray going in our face and the struggling at the oars? Why? Because he wants to teach us that he is El Shaddai, that he is the all-powerful, omnipotent God who will take care of things that concern us. And he says, walk before me. You see, your view of God, brothers and sisters, makes all the difference in your life. How big is your God? Is he big enough to deal with even the things that you've longed for for perhaps a quarter of a century? Are you willing to wait upon him and his power? Abram had already been declared righteous, so let's not make a mistake here that somehow God is saying that my covenant is dependent upon you being blameless, Abram. He's already been declared righteous in Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed in the Lord and it was what? Reckoned to him as righteousness. This response of faith or walking in God, you have to see the order even in Genesis, and this is the order of the New Testament, as you get saved by grace through faith, that not of yourselves, that is the gift of God, not by works, lest no one should boast. Walter Martin one time had to bang the pulpit three times. Not by works, not by works, not by works. We have to drive that into the souls of men and women because sometimes we say we believe it, but then I'm not sure we do. But we are his workmanship. We've been created in Christ Jesus. This is the next verse, Ephesians 2.10. That we might walk in those good works that God prepared beforehand that we should what? Walk in them. Walk before me. But not to get saved. Because you already have the covenant promise. Because I've already declared you righteous. Because I've already said I've got a promise. Way beyond what you could ask or imagine. Trust me. I am El Shaddai. Walk before me. 1 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9 says, God shall also confirm you to the end blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Ephesians 1, 3 and 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Jude 24 says he's going to present us without fault in the presence of his glory, and we're going to rejoice in great ways. And yet still, we're to be a blameless church in a crooked and perverse generation. We're to shine as lights. And one of the ways that we walk blameless before God is in the verse just before that. In Ephesians 2, 4, or excuse me, Philippians 2.14, it says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. How do you like that one? How many of you put that on your refrigerator in the morning? We have shortened that verse. It's Philippians 2.14. We just call it P2.14. That lessens the pain a little bit. <laughs> and I mean... Think about the verse. Do how many things? All things without grumbling or complaining. Even when you play golf. Yes. Even when you're cleaning up after that child for the 156th time. He told them, just pick up your socks. Didn't pick up their socks. Do how many things? <laughs> Woo. One of the ways that we show who we are is the joy and the peace that we have. 
God says, this is the first of seven I will statements in verses one through eight. Genesis 17, two says, I will establish my covenant between me and you. I will, you might want to mark the I wills here. I will multiply you exceedingly. This is God. This is God doing the work, not a condition of the covenant. This is God's promise. And Abram did what was appropriate. He fell on his face, 99, you know, 99 years old. And he got down. He fell on his face and God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you. And you shall be the father of a multitude. Mark that, a multitude of nations, because that is the definition of the name Abraham. So his name has been Abram. Some say, I think most scholars say it means exalted father. And some believe that it ties to the name of God. And that is, he is the exalted father. But his name will be switched in Genesis 17. This is where the switch takes place. And he is changed from Abram to Abraham. And his name really is defined here. He is the father of a multitude of nations. Can you imagine? You go into the tent and you make a new announcement to the servants. Okay, everybody gather around. I have a new name. I'm changing my name. Some of the servants say, to what, Abram? You're already known as the exalted father. And you only have one kid. And that's through a second wife, Egyptian maidservant. My new name is the father of a multitude of nations. Can you imagine some of the talk around the, the water cooler? Has the old man lost his mind? <laughs> He's 99. We don't even know how he had the child in 86. He's not, I think he's lost it. Did he take his vitamins today? I don't know. But he, he's going through a name change, man. Now he's the father of a multitude of nations. I don't know. I don't know. But he pays us. So, you know, he's signing the paychecks. Just pat him on the back. Say, hey, it's all right. Yeah. Okay, Abraham. <laughs> yeah, whatever. No longer shall your name be called Abram. Look at verse five. This is from God. But your name shall be Abraham. For here's another, I will make you a father of a multitude of nations. God makes the name change from Abram. Just look at the two names, Abram in verse five to Abraham. It's just an addition of two little letters. It's H-A in English, ha. So if you just highlighted the H-A in the middle of the name, you've got the additional letters. In Hebrew, I think it's just an H, but here it's a ha for us. And if you think of ha, and you kind of say it, ha, a few times. You could think of laughter in our culture, but the thought more is of breath. Ha. And I was reading James Montgomery Boyce this week, and he was talking about how in Hebrew and Greek, when you look at the idea of breath, the word for breath in Hebrew and Greek is the same as the word for spirit. And in Greek, it's pneuma, and in Hebrew, it's ruach. And some of these, these words, when you say them, you kind of have to say them in a breathy way. In fact, when you look at the name of God in the Old Testament, the Jews would not even write the vowels in there. So it was just Y-H-W-H, just the consonants. But then they tried to add the vowels. And you got yah and way. And you got a kind of a breathy sound to it. 
And the question here is, is there something deeper going on with this name change? We do know that his new name means a father of a multitude, but the question must be asked, how? He's 99, and she's pretty old too. She's about a decade behind him, but in the ancient Near Eastern world, one writer says, a name was not merely a convenient means of identification, but was intimately bound up with the very essence of being and inextricably intertwined with personality. And more, the Bible itself views name-giving as symbolizing the transformation of character and destiny. The Bible also presents name-giving as an exercise of sovereignty or lordship. God's renaming of Abram and Sarai, we'll see in a moment, was nothing less than a blessed reassertion of divine sovereignty over their lives. Abram's name meant exalted father. And referred not to the patriarch, but to God as his exalted father. But when Abram's name was changed to Abraham, it it referred to the man himself as a father of a multitude, the literal Hebrew. The effect was that every time people called him Abraham, they reiterated God's promise that he would be the father of a multitude. How many times a day did that happen each day? That every time someone said, Abraham, we need you over here. Abraham, we've got a problem over here. Abraham, lunch is ready. They continued to reiterate that he would be the father of a multitude. They spoke, if you will, the promise. Do you know in Hebrew and Greek, when you look at the name of Jesus, Jesus' name means Yahweh saves. And every time you say the name of Jesus, you are in essence saying the name salvation. That's Jesus' name. In fact, when Mary named him, she was calling him my salvation. That is his name. And names had great significance in, these, uh, in this cultural setting. And the name Jesus, of course, means Yahweh saves. And the line of Abram will lead us to Jesus Christ himself, the seed, if you will, of Abram. And God says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will, notice the I wills again, I will make nations of you. And kings shall come forth from you. Indeed, Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, will come from him. Matthew 1.1, write it down for your notes. Matthew 1.1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew 1, verse 1. So a thousand years after Abraham came David. David started a... uh, uh, a line of kings, and that line of kings would lead to the greater David. A thousand years later, the greater David was born, and when he rode into Jerusalem, they were calling him Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Revelation 19, 16, king of kings and Lord of lords. Could Abram, Abraham now have really known what this meant? that from his body would come the ultimate king. See, God has a plan. He's always working his plan, even when we can't see it, even when we've been waiting perhaps for decades. And he says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. Notice how long the covenant is. It's an everlasting covenant. And the covenant is to be God to you and to your descendants after you. The covenant with Abram, if you take that down and think about the line of Israel here, the covenant with Abram is an everlasting covenant 
That means how long is it going to last? Forever. So people who question whether or not God is still going to work in the literal nation of Israel, here you go. How long is the covenant? Everlasting. The covenant is I will give to you and to your descendants, so I will be a God to you. And hero Israel, uh, Deuteronomy 6, 4, hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, he is our God. I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, very specific. And the land is an everlasting what? Possession, and I will be their God. The covenant is everlasting. The land is everlasting. And seven times God says, I will. And seven is the number of perfection. It is a done deal, baby. God is going to make good on his promises. And so he says, I'm going to give you the land. This battle over the land of Israel. The Bible is very clear. The land belongs to the people that flow from Abram. And I will make you the father of a multitude. I'm going to give you a little bit of James Montgomery Boyce on the name change. He says, when God changed his name to Abraham, he added an H to his name, or God really added, added the sound of breath, which is important in many ways. We spell Abraham with an additional ha, but those two letters are really just one breathy sound. In the ancient language, um, the words for breath and spirit were the same, as I mentioned. Thus, when God called Abram, Abraham, what he was really doing was adding his mighty breath or spirit to Abram's name, Yahweh. Perhaps the bigger point is that God was joining his name with Abram's. This is how you are going to live out the covenant, Abraham. You have questions about whether or not you can walk before me blameless, about how this is going to happen. How are you going to have a child? How is your wife going to have a child? I am now going to mingle my name with your name. It will not be your power. It will be mine. I will bring my breath. I will join my spirit with you. And we will become one in covenant. When two people are married, that's what happens. Two names are joined together. As husband and wife, two people are joined together. They become one. And this mystery is great, but Paul says in Ephesians 5, I'm speaking in regard to Christ and his church. And when you became a Christian, God's breath or God's spirit came into you, and he mingled his name with yours, but not just his name, his spirit, his breath or his power. And sometimes we ask, Lord, it's so hard to be a Christian. We talk about walking with you. You said to Abram, walk before me blameless. How can one do that? You can't do it, but God can and will, if you will, be willing to surrender. Christian life is not about more self-effort. The Christian life is about cutting away the flesh. Sometimes one painful cut at a time. God says it has to go. And we hold on to things in self-effort. And the Bible says we've been united with Christ um, through our death and identification with him in the death and resurrection. And one of the ways that that is pictured from Romans 6, we have been united with him in the likeness of his death and the likeness of his resurrection is pictured in what is right down to my right. And this has now been finished by Greg. Um, and this is a baptistry. 
And Pastor John this week jokingly called it a little coffin. And he said, if you guys are looking for me, I may be sleeping in there. I don't think Pastor John can fit in there. What, what do you guys think? Anyway, but I'm glad he's not here tonight. But the New Testament equivalency to the Old Testament circumcision is baptism. And baptism is a picture of death and resurrection and being united to Christ. If you look up baptism in a systematic theology, a book about uh, Bible doctrines, that's how they will tell you you define baptism. It's death to the old self. You go under the water. Resurrection to a new life by the power of Jesus Christ. And the whole picture is one of identification with the Lord, with his spirit, with his people. Are you with me? This is where this chapter is heading. And, and, and the message is very clear. If you want to have a life that's set apart for God, you need to surrender and die and even crucify the flesh. And God said further to Abraham, verse 9, Now as for you, here's your part, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, it's mine, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Can you imagine that memo going around the tent? I've got a new name, everybody. And oh, boys, I just need the males. All the males of the household come over here. We have a new sign of a covenant. We'll get to that in a minute. So he says, every male among you shall be circumcised. This is what you're supposed to do. You respond to my covenant by getting circumcised and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. Keep reading. Every male among you who's eight days old, here's where you get the idea that on the eighth day, the child would be circumcised. There are some who believe that children were named on this day as well. Shall be circumcised throughout your generations. Eight is the number of New beginnings. Why get circumcised on the eighth day? Because every time an Israelite or a slave that was in an Israelite household got circumcised, it was a new beginning, a new beginning, a new beginning. It was a time to say, a covenant. Dependent on God, and my part is to set aside the flesh. And so even the servants who had been bought with money from any foreigner, there were many servants that Abram had from Egypt and other places who are not your descendants, even them. A servant who is born in your house or who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. You can think of these as converts. Thus shall my covenant be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. But an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person, and here's a little play on words here, shall be cut off. From his people, he has broken my covenant. So when people were told about the sign of the covenant, that the sign of the covenant was a covenant cutting away of the flesh, or the sign of the covenant was that you've got to die to truly live in the baptistry, if you will. The baptistry doesn't save you. You guys all know that. It becomes a picture of salvation. You've got to decide who do you want to follow? Whose way are you going to choose? Christianity is different in this way. It tells you, if you really want to live, you've got to die. How's that for a popular message to the world, right? But that is what the message is. 
And if you say, I don't want to do it, then you're cut off from your people and being cut off can be an expression of being moved out of the culture or moved out of the uh, community, but it also could sometimes speak of capital punishment. Ian Duguid notes that many people approach God, listen to this, as if they were interviewing him for an open job position for a personal deity in my life. (laughs) Don't you think that sometimes modern Christianity seems like that? Well, uh, the God of the Bible, yeah, I'll take, I'll take 10 minutes on a Sunday and I'll interview him to see if he fits my criteria for a personal deity that I would choose. No, the God of the Bible says, do it my way or you're not going to make it. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And in fact, the Bible teaches that if you don't do it God's way, you will be cut off from his presence. God said to Abraham, as for, your, for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai. She's going to go through a name change. But Sarah shall be her name. Fittingly, uh, Sarai uh, means my princess. And the, the my, uh, taking away the limiting personal pronoun, it just means now princess. Verse 16 confirms this. I will bless her. And indeed, I will give you a son, notice, by her. It's going to be through her. And then I will bless her. She felt like a woman that was not blessed. Now God says, I will bless her. I will give you a son by her. And I don't know what the facial expression of Abraham looked like. As he's like, really? Okay. I will bless her. She will be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Uh, by faith, Hebrews eleven eleven. even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised, Hebrews 11, 11. And Abram, for the second time in this narrative, fell on his face, but this time, would you notice, Genesis 17, 17, he laughed. I don't know all the details of the laugh, but I think it was kind of a laugh of surprise. <laughs> like, really? <laughs> Can you repeat that one more time? Me, 99, she, 90, and we're going to have a child now? And by the way, that child's name will mean laughter. His name, Isaac, Itzhak, the Jews might say, his name means laughter. Every time they saw him, He was a source of joy and laughter. And the book of Romans, um, let's turn there, Romans chapter 4, is a commentary on Genesis 17. So Romans 4, what kind of laugh was this? Later we know that Sarai, Sarah, laughed, and God confronted her in the tent, and she denied it. God says, why did you laugh? And she says, I didn't laugh. And God says, yes, you did. And when God says you laughed and you try to deny it, don't even try because he already knows everything anyway. And Romans 4 tells us something about Abraham. Look at verse, for the sake of time, verse uh, 18. It says, in hope against hope, he believed in order that he might become a father of many nations, according to which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Romans 4.19. 
And without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body. This is a pretty funny picture. (laughs) Now as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb, yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong, and that seems like it was a process in faith, giving glory to God and being fully assured that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Therefore, also, it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Keep reading. Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was reckoned to him, but for our sake also to whom it will be reckoned as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he who was delivered up because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. See, this promise These footsteps, go back to Genesis 17 and we'll finish it, is not just about Abraham. It's about you. It's about God's promises being true and yes and amen and hope against hope. They believed. They believed even with huge obstacles like, Lord, how in the world is this going to happen? We're past those years. Her womb is dead, but God is able to make things as though they were dead to live. He's the God of what? Resurrection, of broken dreams, broken relationships, even faith that seems like it's wavering and almost dead. He can make you alive again. Do you believe it? How big is your God? Is he big enough? You know, the God of Abraham is your God. Do you know that? The God of miracles is your God. Do you believe that? The God that cause the womb of Sarah to be alive again is your God. Do you believe that? You have to ask yourself, is he your God? Are you willing to take him at his word and believe that he is a God of miracles? And Abraham said to God, a little doubt, which gives us hope. Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. Lord, I've got a son. He's 13. Maybe part of what Abraham is saying is don't, I don't want him to be left out of the promises. He's had 13 years with this boy. It is his child, even though through Hagar, he still loves Ishmael. And he says, oh, Lord, maybe there's a little doubt here. Maybe there's concern for Ishmael. But God said, no, not us. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. Seems like there's some maybe hesitancy or even maybe a little bit of unbelief. No, Sarah will be the one, and you shall call his name Isaac. His name means laughter. This is, we have many new names introduced, El Shaddai, Abraham, Sarah, and now Isaac. Four new names, put them together. God is omnipotent and strong and sovereign. God can bless you even when you don't expect to be blessed. God can make a womb alive again and, and make, a, make a life where there seems to be death. And here he can give you joy in your heart. When those promises come to pass, And Isaac is here. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. Verse 20. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I will bless him. I will make him fruitful. From Ishmael come the line of the Arab nations. And I will multiply him exceedingly. He shall become the father of 12 princes. You can write down Genesis 25, 12 through 18. We'll get to that in a later study. And I will make him a great nation. But my covenant... I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you, 
at this season next year. The promise is coming. One more year. You've waited 13. Just wait 14. Two sevens, put them together. My promise will be complete. And Abraham had to be blown away. And I'm sure when he shared the news with Sarah, it was quite an amazing lunch discussion. (laughs) Pour another cup of tea. He said, what? Your name is what? We're going to have what in a year? A baby. (laughs) Can you blind his name? (laughs) Laughter. Isn't God awesome? The way he weaves a tapestry together. And when he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham, presumably back to heaven. And Abraham took Ishmael, his son. He made the announcement. The memo went out. All the servants who were born in his house and all who were bought with his money, every male among the men. Here's a day when you enjoy being a female. Every male among, (laughs) there's not many days when, you know, usually guys say, man, I'm glad I'm a man. But this is a day you're rejoicing to be a woman. Every male among the men of Abraham's household and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in the very same day as God had said to him. That day, that shows you how serious Abram's, uh, Abraham's faith was. He took God at his word, and it was that day. And I'm sure a couple people argued in the committee meeting, what, what about next week? There's got to be... There could be a better day. I mean, why? I mean, you're a little overboard with your faith here, Abraham. I know you got a new name and everything, but slow down. Slow down the presses. This is serious stuff. We got to think about this. We got to talk about this. No, today. The devil says, just toy with your flesh one more day. You guys remember the story of the plagues in Egypt? One of the plagues was frogs. Frogs in your head, frogs on your bed, frogs where you make the pie crust, frogs everywhere, rivet, rivet, rivet. You're getting used to the frogs. You're just kind of a little froggy sleeping next to you at night instead of your doggy. It's a froggy. You're the only one that understands me. (laughs) Getting used to the frogs. And so on this particular plague, every time the Pharaoh would call for Moses to pray and ask the plague to go away, and Moses changed it up this time. He said, hey, Pharaoh, this time we're going to change it up. At your word, the frogs will go away. Just say the word and they're gone. When do you want the frogs to go away? And Pharaoh, in a classic answer, inexplicable to all mankind, says, tomorrow. (laughs) Just one more night with the frogs. Isn't that how the flesh is? The Bible says, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. And the devil says, ah, you gotten used to the slimy green froggy one more night. Tomorrow. That's, that's our famous line for our diets, right? Kate, come, you know, you, you made that New Year's resolution. All right, that's it. <laughs> no more sweets. I've joined the gym. I signed a 25-year contract. <laughs> they love people like that, right? And then you go to work on Monday, and it's somebody's birthday, and the chocolate cake's coming around, and it's decision time. Well, tomorrow I could always, <laughs> I could start the diet tomorrow. Just one more <laughs> night with the frogs. And Abraham says, no. It's time. 
today. I believe this is Abram's greatest act of faith in all the Bible, personally. That's a joke. You guys should be laughing at that. You're not laughing. (laughs) Maybe it was a bad joke. (laughs) Now, Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. By the way, this was a risky venture to do this to all the males of the household would incapacitate the household for at least a couple of days. So you'd have to really be relying upon God because all the males would be kind of, we're trying to recover. In the very same day, Abraham was circumcised and Ishmael, his son, maybe to try to include him in the promises. And all the men of his household who were born in the house or bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. Would you turn to Colossians 2 and we're done. Colossians chapter 2. The Bible talks a lot about circumcision, but it says that what really matters is not the circumcision of the body. What really matters is the circumcision of the heart. And God says, circumcise your hearts. Circumcise your hearts. The whole book of Galatians is a warning that it's not about an exterior sign. It's about an interior change. What really matters is that you're born again of the Holy Spirit, that you've had your heart circumcised, that the Spirit's come and united himself with your spirit, that you know you're a child of God. And in Colossians 2, here's what the Bible says. And in him, in Jesus 2.10, you have been made complete. And he, Jesus, is the head over all rule and authority. And in him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. In the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And when, Colossians 2.13, you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us how many? All of our transgressions having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us and which was hostile to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Would you bow with me, Father? Thank you for this great picture. We see that in the picture of circumcision, it does speak to the future posterity of Abraham and the blessing through Sarah. And thank you that it becomes a picture really of us yielding our lives to your spirit. It's one of the toughest things I think there is to do for every Christian is to yield to the operation of your spirit, to trust in you, to put on the full armor of God, to be filled with the spirit, to trust in your promises, to walk in your footsteps to walk by faith and not by sight. To literally come to you and say, Lord, there's nothing in my flesh, not one good thing is in my flesh. So let it be crucified that you might live through me. That we could say like Paul, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and through me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me with your head and heart bowed. Do you want your heart to change tonight? 
Do you want to have your heart circumcised? Do you want to get rid of that old sick heart and get a new one? I'm not talking about a literal pumping organ here. I'm talking about a new spiritual birth. Maybe you're a prodigal. Maybe you've been running from God. Maybe you have had a hiccup. Maybe you took a shortcut and there's some consequences and you want to get back. And God may have let it leap off the page tonight. Walk before me. Walk in my ways. Walk in response to my covenant. Lord, for those who are crying out to you, may you bless them and strengthen them and encourage them. If you're not a Christian tonight, then the answer is to come to Christ just as you are. Come with all your questions, all your concerns, all your baggage and say, Lord, I surrender. I don't want to have one more night with the frogs. Pray it to him if it's you. I trust in your death on the cross, that you were cut off from the land of the living. I believe in your resurrection. Make me your child. Change me from the inside out, Lord. Help me to learn to walk by faith. I turn from my sin and I turn to you. Lord, for those who are crying out and doing some business with you tonight, may you bless them. May you strengthen them. May you encourage them. May you remind us that you never give up on us. Even on the heels of a mistake that Abram made, you still appeared to him and blessed him beyond what he could imagine. So let us be encouraged tonight as we live our lives of faith. Strengthen us. Pour your spirit into us. Thank you that our name is mingled with yours and we belong to you. And he who began, who began a good work in us will complete it to the day of Christ. Amen.